Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. So our theme is this idea, first of all, we started off with this idea of helping us to understand how deeply we are loved. You may remember some of those sermons that, that, we, that we spoke and preached on, uh, many of us, uh, over the period of last couple of months, but how deeply we are loved. Uh, we, we spoke about how John wrote in his letter uh, to the church, uh, in 1 John, he talked about, uh, see how much the Father loves us, for he calls us his children, uh, declaring this abundance of love from God, evidenced by the fact that God uh, forgives us, but he also then uh, takes us on as his family, and we become his children. Once we become his children, we root deeply into his love. We read this in the book of Ephesians. Paul says, I pray that you would root deeply into the love of Jesus, that you would uh, have your foundation, your roots in his love. Um, and so that, that's, that's the goal. And as we root deeply in God's love, then we are sent out to express this kind of love. We become his ambassadors of his love to a lost world. And that really is the mission of the church. Paul, Paul would say this. Paul, the Apostle Paul would say that all of the law, all of the prophets can be summarized into love your neighbor as you love yourself. That you could summarize, you could shrink all the laws, all the rules that you see in the Bible into this one simple sentence, love each other as you have been loved. As you, as you love yourself, love others. This is the distinctive quality and characteristic of the church, is that we have been loved and then we offer love to others. That's, that's how we're defined. But Jesus said this, they will know you're my disciples if you what? If you have love for one, uh, for each other. So that's the proof that you're, you, you belong to me, is that love is our proof. Love is the evidence. Jesus really came in and ushered in a new way of thinking into a culture and a time period where uh, rules were uh, the rule of the day. Uh, there were over 600 rules and laws that the, the Jewish community operated in. Uh, they called it the oral tradition. There were a multitude of rules on uh, what you could do on the Sabbath day, uh, what you could do before you ate. There was about 30 or more rules on how you were supposed to wash your hands before you ate, uh, how you washed your hands after you handled uh, meat that you were preparing. Just this massive list of, of rules that very often did not express the heart of God, the love of God. And so Jesus, when he came into the world, addressed that issue. Matthew 5 is one of his first recorded presentations of dealing with these problems in society, offering very practical solutions, very practical ways of what love looks like, what love looks like. And we've been dealing with some of those. Beatitudes uh, was the beginning of this sermon, and it just continues. Uh, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you heard a sermon from me called Salt and Light, that Jesus says, look, we're supposed to be salt and light in a world. I'm not going to re-preach that sermon for you this morning. I can talk to you afterwards at coffee if you'd like. Happy to preach it again. Uh, but uh, we, we heard for, about how to deal with anger from Ziggy. And very practical ways of specifically how we can be people of love in practical ways in society. The passage today we're going to deal with is a, is, is a topic that none of us can relate to, I'm sure. I'll read it to you very quickly. Um, this is in Matthew 5, 27 through 32. I'm sure none of us can relate to this very practical issue. 
uh, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Jesus addresses this very, very practical issue, this permanent and very real issue in his day. We don't deal with that today, do we? There's no, we have no issues. This is, none of us struggle uh, in this particular dimension of life. Actually, yeah, none of us do. So I hope that you guys can really, you know, just do your best to focus, you know, uh, today, because I know this has nothing to do with you and where you are and what you struggle with on a daily basis. So thank you uh, for, for, for paying attention this morning. I know this is a topic you can't relate to at all. This is the topic that if you're preaching a sermon, you really would rather avoid this topic at all costs. I just want to tell you right now, this is the sermon you don't want to preach, but it's the sermon that you need to preach. This is, this is the issue that we need to address in society because it is the issue that is more consuming in our society than almost anything else. And it distracts us from, from where we should be and how we should love almost more than anything else that we deal with. Lust at its core is the opposite of love. Uh, lust at its core is all about self and, and not about others. And so Jesus dealt with it head on. You can just imagine Jesus preaching this sermon. We don't see any record in this sermon that he was preaching where he paused and, and allowed people to ask questions and, and ask for further clarification. Let me read this to you again. You've heard that it was said you should not commit an adultery. And everyone in the audience would have been saying that he was speaking to that day would have gone, yeah, we've heard that. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You can just imagine that day there was this collective, huh? You mean we're guilty of adultery even though we haven't committed adultery? And then he went on to say something that we can't just take lightly. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Excuse me? <laughs> So if I've not literally but mentally committed adultery, you would like for me to pluck my eye out if the eye is the problem. And he goes on to say, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. <clears throat> can, we, can we pause just for a moment for, uh, for clarification there, Jesus, if you could explain exactly what you're saying. You mean literally for me to... And, but he goes on, actually. He doesn't pause after this. Then he talks about divorce. All right. He deals very, very strongly about divorce. He goes on to talk about making oaths. He goes, he just all this list. If you, the sermon was from Matthew five to Matthew seven, and it's a long sermon and it's detailed with with really serious information throughout the context of this sermon, and there was no pausing for questions and for explanation. And the new way of love. I have never known anyone to have read this that has left it just comfortably and relaxed after reading it. No one reads this without having questions. We're going to try today, I'm going to try my best to help you understand the context of this, these few verses today. 
Um, and uh, we'll see if we're successful. Understand, Jesus is trying to unleash this new way of thinking. People bound with religious rules, cultural rules, that, as he puts it, were, were, were uh, tying heavy burdens on the people that were trying to follow these rules. You, you hear people discuss this throughout the New Testament about the burdensome nature of these rules and regulations. Uh, Peter, uh, in, in the book of Acts, says, listen, we've never been able to live up to all these rules. And in the, in the case of, of the book of Acts, in that context, he said to the church of Antioch, he said, listen, we should not put this extra burden on people. We should leave it at that Jesus saves, that Jesus only. The way of Christ and, and deepening our love in Christ and his way is the way of love. And as he said, it's not burdensome because it's, it's fulfilled. Our lives and our behavior is fulfilled through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and moving in us. Jesus came to introduce a way empowered by the Holy Spirit and motivated by love for him and love for others. This is the way of love. So when we look at this passage and we look at the idea of lust, we need to see it in the perspective of God's way of love. Jesus, throughout this passage, says this, you heard it said, but I say. He's saying, this is how you've been operating, but this is what I'm saying is the right way. He says this over and over again. You've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. I want to invite you this morning to think through this idea that possibly we, as a community, are living in a certain way, but God has a better way. As we look at this context, which is written many, many years ago, as we look at our lives in the context of culture today, there's a way, potentially, that we're living that is not the best way. That possibly Jesus is asking you and me to think through, listen, your cultural and religious norm that you're used to, maybe that you were raised in, is not healthy. And you need to look at a different way, the way of Jesus. That's what he invites us to, I think, throughout this whole context. Matthew 5 talks about how we're blessed. He talks about the reality of fulfilling his law, God's law, as opposed to man's religious laws. He talks about salt and light. He talks about anger. Here he talks about lust. Next week we're going to be talking about divorce, what that looks like. Invite your friends. <laughs> we're going to keep going through these topics and hopefully giving you some very practical tips on how to live and love Jesus style, how Jesus expects us to behave if we know him. That's the invitation. Jesus is addressing all the ways in which culture and religious tradition did not love well. But I say is under the heading that is how we are to love in a more extraordinary way. We are invited to choose his way, his style. And, and, and this is how a society is supposed to operate. Here he talks about lust. If you lust, look at a woman with lustful intent, you've committed adultery in your heart already. I think it's important that we define these terms. Lust is not admiring beauty. Lust is not attraction. Lust is a desire, a longing for what is not rightfully yours. Let me say that again. Lust in its purest form is, although it's very impure, in its purest form, in its definition, is desiring something that is not rightfully yours. 
seeking after something that is not yours. You could make a case and you could argue that you could lust after uh, someone else's possessions. Uh, in this context, lust is in the context of sexual attraction, sexual desires, longing for uh, something that does not belong to you. And this is contrasted to admiring beauty. There's nothing unhealthy or wrong with saying, that's a handsome guy, that's a beautiful woman. The, where it becomes lust is where you say, that's a handsome person, I want that person for my sexual pleasure. That's where lust starts. Lust is the opposite of love. It's the epitome of self-love. Lust steals. I don't know if you've ever been the object of someone else's lust, but it's creepy, isn't it? This is a, a fact. I, I hope you know this, but uh, people who are being lusted after can feel the lust from the other person, and it can creep them out. Uh, have you ever experienced this before? Where you know that someone's looking at you and desiring something they should not have, and you can feel it. They didn't say anything to you, but you can feel it. I'm sure that every female here this morning has experienced this, and it's creepy. Ladies, is it creepy? Yes. It's a violation. It's a theft. Lust steals from the other. It takes for itself what is not given or owned. Creeps out the recipient. They feel violated. Reduces people to sexual beings rather than respected children of God. And, and quite frankly, lust can be the instigator or the spark of real fear in others. It causes people to run away from you, not to you, by the way. Some might say that there's nothing wrong with window shopping. You ever heard that term? <laughs> nothing wrong with window shopping, I'm just looking. But all of us have been the recipient of someone looking at us too long. <laughs> we know this. We know this feeling. You're in your house. Uh, this happens all over Vintook. And there'll be somebody standing across the street from your house looking at your house. Has that ever happened to you? They're just window shopping. <laughs> it's okay. No, it's not okay. It creeps us out. We wonder, what's going on? It creates fear, stress. So many people have been the recipient of those unwanted, unwelcome gazes from other people. And comments very often associated with this gaze. Whether you're at a mall, you're out shopping, and you can feel the eyes on you. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's happened to all of us. As men, it's happened to men. Used to happen to me more when I was younger. <laughs> I'm so glad I've been to a phase where it doesn't happen anymore so much. Yeah. <laughs> I'm rarely the recipient of that particular sin. Lust is not attraction. Lust is desiring what is not yours. It's the opposite of love. And I think that's why Jesus addressed it is because uh, he's asking society to, to be overwhelmed with his love to become his children. And then he's asking society then to love uh, others the way you've been loved. Lust is the total opposite of the goals of Christ. 
It is the opposite of love. Let's look at Matthew 5.29. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. This really deserves explanation, right? We all have our hands, unless you lost it accidentally. Uh, most of us have our eyes this morning. Uh, clearly, this church does not struggle with lust, right? Uh, none of us here struggle because none of us have obeyed the Bible and plucked out our eyes or cut our hands off. I believe with all my heart that Jesus was using a term, an idea, a, a, a figure of speech called hyperbole. Uh, that is to, to exaggerate to make a point. Uh, Jesus told parables. I believe here he's using hyperbole, which is to exaggerate a point to make a point, exaggerate a system. We understand hyperbole. Maybe you've said this before. I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. Anyone? Yes. Have you ever eaten a horse? <laughs> we understand hyperbole. Maybe a donkey. You've had donkey before? Yeah. But not the whole donkey, have you? No, yeah. We'll talk later. That needs some counseling. Yeah. Uh, I bet some of us have accidentally had dog and other animals. But anyway, uh, have you ever heard the term, uh, she ghosted me? To ghost someone? Does that literally mean that you turn them into a spirit? No, it's hyperbole. It's, it's the idea, by the way, it means that they've ignored you. They've totally disconnected from you. He ghosted me. She ghosted me. Look at me, using young terminology. Because, yeah. <laughs> uh, when they met, there were fireworks in their eyes. Have you heard that phrase before? I have never seen fireworks go off in some, literally fireworks going off in someone's eyes, but we understand what that means. Have you, have you ever heard this one? That relationship cost me an arm and a leg. Well, Jesus here talking about lust will cost you an eye and a hand, okay? It's hyperbole, basically saying, take this seriously. The point is, take this very, very seriously. Uh, just a few things, just to make sure we understand that this is not literal. There's no evidence throughout the New Testament that we read. There's no biblical evidence ever that any of the followers of Jesus Christ cut their hands off or plucked their eyes out. We don't see this anywhere. We do see evidence that people were baptized, see evidence that they formed churches, that they shared the gospel, but never <laughs> do we see them plucking eyes out and cutting hands off. So I'm pretty sure this is hyperbole. Also, too, just from a practical sense, uh, if you've ever lusted in your life um, and you decided to pluck your eye out or cut your hand off, you would still be able to see those images, right, in your brain. Plucking an eye out, cutting your hand off, probably would not keep you from lusting, right? Because this is an internal mental thing. I think what Jesus is saying here is deal radically with lust. Count the cost. Go, wage war against this thing. It's a serious issue, and we need to fight it with all our might and deal with it. Lust is very, very destructive. So... What is our eye-plucking, hand-severing plan in dealing with lust? I think that's the question we need to ask. 
What could we do to deal with lust that would be as severe as plucking an eye out and cutting a hand off without plucking our eye out and cutting our hand off? What would that look like? How serious are you about dealing with lust? Or are we serious about window shopping and we embrace it? What it would look like for you if you removed lust from your life, radically severed it from your lifestyle and your tradition and your culture? What would it look like? I know all of us would agree that removing lust from society is it's a big deal. You may be thinking just of yourself, say, this is going to be a real big deal for me to get this out of my life. As one teenager asked the question, it's a, it's a legitimate question, why did God make us this way, right? <laughs> Maybe you've asked that question too. Why are my urges so strong? Well, these are God-given urges, right? These are God-given desires and meant to be in the context of healthy relationship. These are powerful, powerful, powerful urges. And it's the reason why society continues to have children and, and populations grow is because of these God-implanted desire and urges that are in us. And they are powerful. One thing you should understand about attraction is that it's powerful. It's one of the most powerful God-given foundational aspects of the human body. It's enormous. It's huge. And so we need to understand what context those urges and those desires are to be lived in and out, how that's supposed to be lived, and where it should not be expressed. Is because it is powerful. It is powerful. We need to understand how this works. Each of us is born with a beautiful and glorious gift built into our bodies. The power to create life, right? What an amazing thing. Society will continue to grow because of this incredible gift from God. As an integral part of this gift, our Creator placed within us powerful feelings, right? Powerful emotions, powerful attractions. Listen, because I followed an attraction of mine, I have a beautiful wife. We've been married now for many years. I'm so grateful for this incredible God design. This is God's design. Marriage is God's ultimate a fulfillment of these amazing emotions and this powerful force that God put within us. This is purposefully done to motivate each of us to join together as husband and wife and become one in every way, right? This is the whole point. But with this power comes limits and boundaries, right? So we hear Jesus talking about this idea of lust and that be careful, don't lust. So he's, 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 he's drawing lines and boundaries around this powerful force that he has actually implanted in us. This thing that God has given us triggers an overwhelming response in the brain and the rest of the body. We can all relate to that, right? It's one so, so powerful that the only safe setting for its exercise is, in, is within a marriage relationship. These urges, this God-given gift is only and safely to be practiced in the context of marriage. Because outside of that, it's destructive. It's so powerful that anything outside of God's design for love is actually very destructive and harmful. And our bodies literally cannot handle anything outside of His boundaries. We are physiologically unable to contain and deal with following the road of lust. 
The invitation from God is to these God-given urges and emotions and desires are only safe and meaningful in the context of a loving relationship. Lust will lead you to destruction. These, this God-given foundation that we have, if it follows the path of lust, will destroy you. But if it follows the path of love, will actually be meaningful and amazing. This is God-given. There are physiological reasons for all of this that I'm going to try to explain to you a little bit this morning. I won't do it perfectly, but I'm going to try. All right? So this helps me. This is the kind of logic that helps me. I hope it helps you as well. These uh, feelings, these desires that God has implanted in us are meant to be directed into a relationship of marriage, ultimately where this is fulfilled. All of us have been in that process probably of attraction. And when that attraction begins, uh, it can move to lust if you're not careful. But that attraction moved into a loving relationship of marriage becomes a very beautiful thing. In the context of marriage, when uh, your body begins to be attracted, uh, there is this uh, endogenous, uh, which means an internal secretion of chemicals in your body. Endogenous means internal. This internal secretion of chemicals uh, that begins this, uh, this chemical uh, celebration in your body. And as one doctor explains this, uh, a narrowing process begins in your mind. So attraction begins to then uh, focus your attention on the person that you're attracted to, and everything else begins to be blocked out. Maybe you've experienced this before. Yeah, where everything begins to fade away, and the only thing you can see is the object of your desire. And unfortunately, uh, outside of marriage, uh, good things are blocked out. Important things, things that you need in your life are blocked out. Like God. Very often, God is the last thing you want to think about in that moment. Sometimes you forget that you have a job or that you're married. And all of these important aspects of your life somehow fade away. And that's why we see people do crazy things in regards to this particular urge in our lives. Where they absolutely are completely and totally unaware of any consequence of their behavior. At that moment, the ability to think straight about consequences has been erased. That chemical, that's an endogenous, internally secreted chemical, is called dopamine. Have you ever heard of this before? Your body secretes this thing and it narrows your thinking. The release of these natural chemicals, this natural drug serves to heighten energy and focus. It triggers feelings of attraction, attraction, relaxation, and excitement. And this extremely focused attention, which is, comes from dopamine, gives you an unwavering motivation, right? <laughs> you will go down this road until you are satisfied at the expense of everything else. In marriage, a great thing, right? Marriage, an amazing thing, because all of a sudden you can forget work. You can forget the stress of raising children, right? And it becomes a relaxing, wonderful gift from the Lord. Neuropinephrine is secreted. The chemical generates exhilaration and increased energy by giving the body a shot of natural adrenaline. And neuropinephrine is an interesting chemical because it it sears whatever action, activity that you're involved in. It sears that memory into your brain. 
It's almost as if that moment is branded forever in your brain. This is the problem with behavior that is outside of God's context is because then you have images and memories that don't go away. They're there, maybe for the rest of your life, but inappropriate images that are seared in your brain. Testosterone, also highly motivating, triggering feelings of positive energy and well-being. And then finally, oxytocin. Oxytocin is that, that what people call a bonding high. So the idea that this kind of attraction is to lead people within the context of marriage into feeling closer to each other. Oxytocin is released not only uh, in marriage, but it's also released when, when, when relationships are good and healthy outside of marriage. Uh, there's an unbelievable uh, endogenous reaction, this chemical release, when a, a mother holds her baby for the first time. There's this instant bonding that takes place uh, with a mother to the child. And this child actually also has oxytocin that's released because that child begins to then bond with the mother. Oxytocin is released in fathers who are holding their baby for the first time. And the idea is that in relationship that... All of this powerful force that God has implanted in us, driven towards uh, relationship in marriage, it, it narrows the focus into we're focused on each other, and the bonding becomes extraordinary, amazing in, in the context of, of healthy relationship. It becomes a wonderful thing. And oxytocin is secreted, and it continues to be secreted, by the way, that you continue to bond even after any kind of a physical event that your, your bond and your relationship gets deeper and closer. The goal of those powerful forces is to increase your bond, increase your connection with the other person. And that's where family becomes meaningful. That's where relationship becomes deep and special, unforgettable. Serotonin is also secreted in your body naturally that relaxes you, takes stress away. This is the idea to move us into something special, something wonderful of connection and family. The things that actually mean, that are significant, that mean something in our lives. That's the whole goal of these powerful forces is to bring us into unity, into marriage, this bond, to create family. We can experience all of this with friends outside of marriage. We can experience this close bond. That's the goal of healthy attraction. Lust is the opposite. Lust, actually, in that narrowing process, which I described in a healthy marriage, that narrowing process also takes place with lust, where everything is blocked out, everything is, is, is removed. All of these endogenous chemicals are secreted in your body, but more so than you actually want, because you've removed, with those lustful emotions and those feelings, you have actually removed uh, all the things that you actually need in your life, as well as the stress, for a moment. But you've removed God, you've removed the bonding. The whole point of, of that kind of an interaction and relationship is so that there would be a close bond that forms. Lust leads you actually to love yourself. It's all about the, the act instead of the goal of bonding and becoming family. And therefore you're left. Actually you still have a, a short burst of oxytocin that's released in your body. But outside of that relationship, it completely depletes away quickly and goes away. And then, this is the amazing thing, is that your body then begins to secrete a chemical called cortisol. You've heard of cortisol before? Cortisol is secreted and released when a person is under stress. So all of a sudden, you have this confusing 
uh, smorgasbord of, of emotions and hormones that are in your body, and it leaves you more lonely than before you followed the lust trail. Ironically, very often people fulfill their lust hoping for uh, companionship, hoping for some kind of, of an escape from the stress of this life, but ultimately it leads them to be more alone, more depressed, more confused than they were before. It's not fulfilling in any way. Whereas in the context of marriage, they talk about this hormonal symphony that takes place that leads you to deeper and closer relationship and meaning in life, whereas lust leads you to just the opposite of that. It leaves you worse off than you were before you actually went down the lust road. This is scientific fact. It's also biblical fact, but this is how the body works. I know I'm talking about issues that maybe we'll need to talk to our kids afterwards to explain in more detail. I hope we haven't crossed any lines yet. Everyone okay? All right, good. This is, this is what the writer of Proverbs said. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can, can you scoop a bunch of coals, put them in your lap without getting burnt? In other words, don't play with this. Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? He goes on to say, so is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will be unpunished. We're playing with fire when we walk down the road of lust. Lust is the opposite of love. Jesus invites us to fight it with everything. To take it as seriously as though you were plucking your eye and cutting your hand off. Fight a war against lust. Hopefully today you understand why love is the better route scientifically, maybe. Maybe you understand it better. The goal of this is to be in a loving relationship, these powerful urges that God has given us. Jesus asked us to wage war against lust. But he asked us to invest our lives and to learn how to be more loving. So although he's asking us to stop lusting, he's asking us to start loving I have never successfully stopped something unless I replaced it with something better. This morning I could tell you, stop thinking of the number six. Stop thinking of the number six. What number are you thinking about right now? Six. Right. I can tell you all day, stop lusting, stop lusting, stop lusting. But, but what Jesus is saying here is to start loving. If you keep reading in Matthew 5 in this Sermon on the Mount, it's an incredible sermon. He, he says, stop blessing me. He goes on to say, but love your enemies, right? It has all kinds of replacement behavior that replaces this issue of lust. Stop lusting because it's serious. Declare war on lust. Start loving. How can you as a married man or woman, how can you as a single man or woman, how can you as a teenager, a child, how can you be more loving? You need to start working on this now. No matter how old you are, you need to fight this battle against lust for love. Begin investing in relationships that could lead to marriage. Marriage is a good thing. Marriage is, is God-ordained unless he gives you the spiritual gift of not being married. All right, There is a spiritual gift of abstinence of singleness, 
And God has given that to different people. And I would imagine today, if you're single, that you have that spiritual gift, whether you know it or not. <laughs> but it could be, I would say for the most part, most people are invited to marriage. That's God's plan for most people, not for everyone, but for most people. But can you be single and can you be pure? Of course. There's a plan for you for meaning and family and life, even if you're not married. Invest in relationships that could lead to marriage. But don't invest in relationships that satisfy a quick urge in your life that are the product of lust instead of love. Stop investing in these short-term, short, quick, disastrous relationships that you've invested in, hoping to get a quick fix. Invest in long-term relationship. That's where true meaning takes place. All of these quick fixes, convenience-type physical relationships, are more destructive than they're worth. Can we all agree to that? Haven't we all made mistakes in this area before and it's been totally unsatisfactory? We always regret it, right? How can it be love if we do something to someone that they regret or we regret later? How can that be love? If I'm responsible for doing something to, to another that will give that person regret for the rest of their life, how is that love? Invest in relationships that are not headed towards any kind of physical intimacy. There's so much more to life than lust, right? There's so much more to relationship than sex. I think we need to understand that. That's why you've heard me say before that your identity, who you identify with, shouldn't be connected to some sexual behavior. There's so much more to life than sexual behavior. We identify as a child of God in the context of his love. That's what brings meaning in life, not the sexual act. But we are a sex-obsessed society. And I'm asking you that to look at our culture, to look at our lives and say, this is how we've been behaving, but Jesus says, there's a new way. And in his way, it can be meaningful. Invest in relationships that are not headed towards physical intimacy. There, there's just so much more to life than what sex seems to offer us. Invest in God. Invest in your relationship with God. Just begin there. Root yourself deeply in the love of Christ. That's the goal of Christianity, by the way, that we would root deeply in him. Learn what, it can, what a relationship you can have with your creator. If you know Jesus Christ today, your life has been changed. And life is more meaningful than it ever was before. There is true, significant, real meaning in Christ. There's love, there's joy, there's peace, there's goodness, all in the context of the Spirit of God. Pray. Invest your life in speaking to Him and hearing from Him. Pray and fast. Read Scripture. Yes, of course. Read His Word. Get to know Him through His Word. Worship together through music and, 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 and singing. Gosh, there's so much meaning in that. Attend church. Be part of church. Be part of fellowship. Be in relationship in the context of God with each other. Uh, that's, all the, that's why they call small groups very often. They call them life groups because they do give life. Over and over again, I've been part of life groups. And 
people will show up and they'll say, you know, I wasn't coming tonight and because I had other stuff I felt like I needed to do. And then throughout, throughout sitting through this life group, by the end of the evening, they're going, man, I'm so glad I came. This is exactly what I needed. Because it satisfies our deepest longings, that is, that is connection and relationship with other people. Be part of church. Be part of small group. Share the gospel. Be about the task that God asks us to do. You know, sharing the gospel may be frightening to you, but maybe because maybe if you've never shared the gospel, you've never understood how fulfilling sharing the gospel can be to you personally. There's nothing more exciting than sharing Christ with someone. The, the high, this, this evangelism high that you experience afterwards is off the chart. And some of those same chemicals we talked about earlier are secreted endogenously in your body. These chemicals, oxytocin, serotonin, you have peace, you have joy, <laughs> you have bonding, you have family, all because you've obeyed God and you've been about his purposes. People, invest in others. Oh my goodness. Every meaningful endogenous chemical can be experienced outside of sexual intimacy. You, you know that? Everything you're looking for with lust, you can find outside of lust and outside of any kind of sexual intimacy. The bonding of family and relationship with others is there if you invest in other people. Exercise is helpful. People talk about a runner's high. Have you ever heard that before? Yeah, being healthy, just being healthy, all these things. Friend events, hanging out with others, intentionally investing in other people, serving other people, uh, listening to others. Uh, sometimes we treat others uh, totally from their perspective of ourselves. I want to be with you so I can share my entire story with you. I'm not interested in listening to your story. I just want to share my story with you. And very often that's the motivation of connecting with people, right? Can we get together so I can tell you everything about my life? And those are very unfulfilling relationships, right? Because it's all one-sided. Oh, how we long for two-sided relationships. That's what I'm talking about. Healthy relationships are two-way streets. Invest in those kind of relationships. Christ invites us to, to declare war on lust, but to invest our lives, all of our energies, all of our time in, in love. What did he say? The greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And he said the same. Do the same with others. Love each other with what? All your heart, your mind, your soul, all your passions, all your energies. Invest your entire, all your passions, everything into loving others. And that fulfillment, that meaning in life you're looking for will be found through those activities. Whereas lust destroys you, love fills you. Lust takes away from you, love gives to you as you're giving. Declare war. Be aware of those areas where you are more prone to lust and begin to remove those from your life. Uh, if it's your smart device, if it's your computer, whatever it is, begin to actually set parameters, set accountability in your life. Set up, intentionally set up guards. Guard your eyes, guard your ears, guard your family, guard your children. Parents, you need to protect your children from what is available today in this world more than ever before. Images are available. They're easy to find. People can view images 
in secret, right? Listen, one of the things that the, dam the damages of all the COVID isolation that we've been here is that people actually were exposed to stuff they should have never been exposed to because they were isolated. You talk to any school in this city today, they are dealing with children who have been hurt because of what they've seen through COVID days on their computers. This is a major issue in schools today. Images that they should not be seeing are affordable, they're easy, they're cheap, and social media is aggressively pushing these images to your children and to your families. Uh, people who write about this talk about the, the four A's of, of addiction. Availability, anonymity, in other words, secrecy, affordability, and advertising. Or as one author put it, advertising slash aggressive behavior from people who want to sell you their stuff. Be aware of the world we're living in and, and draw boundaries and parameters for yourself and for your family. Guard your family, protect your family. Parents, you need to be smart about the devices that are sitting in your, in your children's hands. And you need to draw boundaries for them. They need it. You're not taking something away from them. You are giving them freedom. And you are protecting their future relationships by removing screens from their hands. Guard your eyes. Bounce your eyes. Embrace the culture of love that Christ, his way. And then, friends, we need to have mercy and forgiveness towards each other. This is an area that all of us have failed in. And we need to understand that God has made a way for us, regardless of our history and our past, to come before him and experience his forgiveness and his freedom. I want to leave you with these two last verses here as we deal with the issue of lust. 1 John 1 says this, If we say we have no sin, we what? We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are invited to confess our sins before the Father because God has made a way for us to be cleansed as we're growing and our minds are being transformed into him. And then this one, James 5. James 5, verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. In other words, pray for each other. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. This is a clear invitation for us to come together with the reality that we live in a lustful context and confess those sins to one another for help. To begin that relationship with, I'm a fallen person, I need help. I need to be in a relationship. Confess this to one another and, and pray for each other in this area. Work with each other. Fight together. Enlist soldiers with you to win this battle. Again, lust has tremendous success in isolation. Overcoming lust and moving into the way of love is always in the context of relationship with God and with others. That's how we overcome lust, is that we stop isolating. We move into family, we move into relationship, and that's how we win the battle. Jesus invites us, first of all, to have a relationship with him. And he empowers us to be these people. And then he says part of his design is that we relate in family and context with others so that we could be strong in these areas as well. And then discover the true meaning that comes only in a relationship with God 
and only in a relationship with others. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Father, that you have designed us just the way we are, Father, and you have a perfect way for us to live out your creation in our lives. Lord Jesus, uh, there's not one of us here this morning who is not guilty in some way. And so, Father, we come to you, uh, we fall before you in your mercies and your love. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your restoration. And, Lord, we thank you for the plan that you have for us. Lord, to have meaning and significance in life. We say yes to you, Jesus. And, Lord, we say yes to the fellowship you designed. In your name I pray. Amen. This is Rico Veca, and I am also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today. And it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.